to rejoice and be glad in and come and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For those of you who just came already this morning, the thought has been the counsel of God through the power of his word and the power of his spirit. <clears throat> Brother David has asked us just to consider one verse together out of the 20th chapter of Revelation. We'll ask you to turn your Bibles to that. The book of Revelation chapter 20, and we'll just read one verse there together. <clears throat> You're probably familiar with this chapter. It seems to be a chapter where the verses have a, a lot of contrast in them. Verses of uh, God and verses of the devil, the power of Jesus Christ and the power of Satan, evil and righteousness, life and death the redeemed and the damned. Verse 12, <clears throat> verse 12, chapter 20. <clears throat> and I saw the dead, small and great, <clears throat> stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. As I read that this morning, after David gave it to me, my thought went to the power of Scripture. So I'd like for us to turn back in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to just read a few verses here together. As we think about the power of God, his counsel in his word, and the power of his spirit, we're going to look at just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 4. You're all familiar with these. <clears throat> power of scripture. Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. <clears throat> so I would like to leave us with this encouragement this morning that the Bible is not like any other book. The Bible is alive. It's, it's living. I would like to encourage us to read the Bible, to read it often, to read it aloud, to read it 
slowly, and above all, to listen to it as we read it. And if you do that, you will find that not only are you reading the Bible, but the Bible is reading you. That's what this verse says. It says that it will divide all your thoughts, the motives of your heart, and that it has the power to transform your heart as you do that. So wherever you're at this morning, <coughs> this morning in life, maybe you're on the mountain or maybe you're in the valley, but as you read the word, I want to give you the rest of the, the verses here for your encouragement. It says that as we do that, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. In other words, let's do what we profess we're doing. Because we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He didn't sin any like we do, but he had all the temptations that we do. So, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can you think of any greater encouragement than that? Open up the book. Let it open you up and then come to the throne of God and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. What a wonderful privilege. So I'm going to uh, just ask for prayer requests and praise reports this morning. <clears throat> Good morning and welcome to this gathering place for one reason, Jesus Christ. That's the only reason that we came here. The only reason we have any motivation to gather in a place like this communally, as a community, to open up a book, the Bible, the supernatural word of God, because of Jesus Christ. Have you ever uh, heard the, the abbreviation M.O.? which is abbreviation for the Latin term modus operandi, which we could also say is the mode of operation. Have you ever thought about what is the mode of operation of Jesus Christ? What was his mission? So our title today is The Mission of Christ. What was the mission of Christ to come into this world? Well, there's a couple of phrases right here. And... Uh, and we juxtapose those two phrases to each other. His, his mission was to save the world, the people that are in the world. And beside that, we also put the idea of to judge the unbelieving people. And at first glance, that's a, a simple understanding of the mission or the reason that Jesus Christ came into the world. But does that really summarize it? I don't think so. I don't think we can simplify God to just a couple of phrases side by side each other because there's one word that needs to be added right here. <clears throat> That's the passage of some time. And then we need to write someday. 
the judgment that God plans for the end of this world and for the unbelieving people will come someday. But his main mission was to come to save people. That in, the, in this little pocket of time and all of eternity, and the Bible calls it the fullness of time, Jesus came into the world to save people. But at the same time, in his own words, he describes some of the reasons that he came had to do with judgment. And we want to elaborate some of those things. What, he said, what Jesus said was the reasons he came into this world, and it included both to save the world, but also the, the judgment aspect of it. But the judgment is actually delayed to, some, to the last day. So, this up here is the beginning of a lot of words that we need to talk about. Because when Jesus came into the world, he was already God. He didn't just take on God things after he was born. Okay? And there's a question, maybe we should just ask this question. Uh, listen to this closely, it's a complicated question. What was the mission of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ? To be born in Bethlehem and to enter the world of his created humanness. Now, that's a complicated question. Let, let me hit you that again. What was the mission of Jesus of Nazareth? That's one of the describers of Jesus, the Christ. To be born in Bethlehem and to enter the world of his created humanness. So that, that's the, the, the thought we want to work with today. But I think we need to understand what this is describing up here. Because <clears throat> what I want to put up here are a bunch, is words that help us humans to understand who God is by some of his characteristics and some of his names. Because when Jesus came into the world, he was already God. Up here at the beginning of this, we need to begin here with truth. Because there are several phrases that in the Bible that talks about truth and being all truth. And one of the gifts, or one of the promises of the Holy Spirit is that he would guide us into all truth. When I wrote, wrote that word all, it reminded me of something. Because yesterday we had a wedding in our woods. And there was a couple there. And a lady of that couple... Uh, worked with us at a time when we had our store. And uh, in her subculture, uh, <clears throat> she used a phrase. And sometimes I would stroll through the store and I would hear her say to Bonnie, uh, <clears throat> the raw peanuts are all. And I'd say, all what? And she'd just look at me, just... And there was no answer. I mean, she'd already said it. There wasn't anything else to say. The raw peanuts are all from her subculture. Now, from my subculture, that's a dangling participle. <laughs> and you've got to finish the dangling participle. You can't leave it hanging there. You've got to answer it. But in this, in this description of God, when we're describing God up here. <laughs> when you say God is all, you've really said it. It's not a dangling participle any longer. God is all. Okay, so one thing is he's all truth. Okay, he's also all 
<coughs> wisdom. He's all knowledge. <coughs> and there's also, <coughs> we have here, we have mercy. We've got grace in here. And we've got love. And there's all kinds of other things that you could continue to add into that. And here above life, we have eternal life. And these things are, as you're going to pick up, these are all based on scriptures. Okay? God is eternal life. That's the reason he came into the world, to bring us life. He wanted to make it abundant. And so you have this sense of abundancy here. He wanted to make it more abundant. You also have, over here, we'll skip over here this a little bit. We, we need to put the word holy here. Because God is the holy judge. That's a key, a key understanding of God and his judgment, that he is, he is completely righteous and he's holy. And so we need to write here also righteous judgment. And we're going to run out of space here because we really can't contain God in a box here. It's going to keep going in all directions. And you know what the end of that word is. Okay, we also have, he's the deliverer of us. And he's the high tower, and we'll just abbreviate that. He's our high tower. He's our vengeance, and he's the wrath. And it's, it's all this righteous judgment. Someday it's going to be poured out upon this world, and you, so you have, there's going to be vengeance and wrath that will come out in God's plans, in his perfect plans. But we also have here the, the atonement that came because of Jesus Christ. And he, he is our justifier. And he's our sanctifier. He is our savior. And he is the fullness of the Godhead. And we need to put glory all over the place here. We could put glory wherever we want here because the glory is, is just this thing that pulls it all together. And you think about that time when Solomon's temple was being dedicated and Solomon prayed and before the priest could go and do the sacrifices and begin the process of all the temple things they were going to do, there was this cloud of glory of God that filled the temple and they had to stop. And so I'm not going to write glory here, but we're going to... We're going to throw some hash marks in here. And this is just the glory of God that's just over, over everything that surrounds it all. And it just makes a cloud because God is all of these things and far much more. But these are glory lines here that are pulling this all together. When Jesus came into the world, he was already all of that and more than what we could describe. So as we go to look at some verses, we need to understand all of these things were Jesus Christ already. And it tells us that in the fullness of the Godhead, that he came, what? What's the next word? Bodily. Okay. That's what happened. <clears throat> when Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem, he was the Christ. He came bodily. All of that became bodily into the world. And he came down here to save the people of 
the world. But he also says, I came for some elements of judgment. And let's look at that. Let's expand that just a little bit. But this is giving us some idea of what was the mission of Jesus Christ coming into the world. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We're going to skip through several verses here. Luke 19, 10. It just says this. I'll back up one verse to nine. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come. That's Jesus Christ in his own words saying, This is the reason I came. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Jesus telling him. Telling us what was his reason, what was his mission to come here. He wanted to come seeking. He wanted to save that thing, that person that is lost until Jesus finds them and saves them. They are completely lost. John 10.10. Let's turn over to the book of John. We're going to see several things here in the book of John. John 10.10. It says this. Jesus talking, the thief cometh not. But for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come. See, here again, he's giving us his mission statement. He said, I am come. That they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus come to bring us life. Because without Jesus, there is death. There is no life. And that's the contrast that, that Jesus came into the world to make it so absolutely understandable that without him is death and he came to bring life but to bring it and to make it more abundant for us that help us to have a picture an image that there is the eternity and that life is eternal and it's going to be even more than we can ever imagine that what life is because that's God's intention and Jesus came bearing that John 18 turn over a couple pages there to John 18 1837, Pilate therefore said unto him, meaning Jesus, art thou a king then? Well, let's back up just a little bit to 36. Jesus said, answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus said, answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. The next sentence, I've always read that, the idea that when Jesus said, you just said that I am a king, and it says then, to this end, I've always thought that that meant referring back to being a king. But let's read that whole sentence and see where it goes. To this end was I born... So Jesus was born into this world for a certain end. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Jesus didn't say, I came into this world to be a king. So I came into this world to be a witness to all truth. That was one of his reasons coming because he's he wants to point people he wants to build an understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is all about that all of these things and much more describes God and all that he has planned for us and promised for us 
And Jesus came to be a witness to all truth. Not that he's just some king, but he wants us to understand that, and this is why I was thinking about absolute truth in the class this morning. <laughs> it was kind of fresh in my mind. <clears throat> but Jesus comes to bear witness to absolute truth, that there is an absolute truth, and it's God's truth. And it, we don't have the privilege of just making it up in your heart of whatever you think the truth is. No matter what I think the truth is, there is still truth, and it's God's truth. And Jesus came to bear witness that there is absolute truth. Also, 1 Timothy 1.15, you don't need to turn to this, I'll just read this. Paul writing to Timothy, Paul writes, Christ Jesus came into this world. That was the reason he came into this world, to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul also was acknowledging what Jesus has been telling us there. He came into this world to save sinners, those that are lost. That's the reason he came into this world. <clears throat> With God existing in all of his fullness, of all that he is, there was a little blip in eternity that we call the recorded history that the Bible is describing to us. It's just a tiny little blip. And God said, the time is full. Become a, you go and become a man in that tiny little bit of history. And we're going to write it out in the Bible and describe it. And, and you're going to go there and you are all God. You're one with the Father and the Spirit is the same as Jesus. That's what the scriptures tell us. In that little blip of history, go there and save people. Provide what is needed the perfect sacrifice upon the cross. That's the reason you're going onto the earth for this few years of time and a little bit of history that's recorded to save people. Now, let's kind of talk about what Jesus says about judgment. Luke chapter 12, 49. I'll just tell you what that one is. Jesus simply says in Luke 12, I am come, again a mission statement, I am come to send fire on the earth. Jesus is reflecting, I am come <coughs> bodily upon the earth, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, and someday there's going to be a time of judgment, and Jesus is going to bring that fire upon the earth. But Jesus was already all of these things. And so as he was talking, he was referring to something that's quite distant in the future. John 5, 22. Let's turn there. John 5, 22. Jesus says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed... All judgment unto the Son. <clears throat> so who is the judge? Jesus, the Son. In God's plans of all that he is, all judgment has been given to Jesus. But it will be delayed until another time. But he's still standing there on the earth, and he is the judge of the earth. 
John 9, 939. Jesus speaking again. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world. Again, a mission statement. For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. This is right after he had healed a man that was blind. But he said, I, I am come into this world for judgment. And he was. He's all God. While he was there on the earth, he was there to save people. But he's still the judge. And that will come in time. Now, turn to John 12. This is fascinating. John 12, 47 and 48. <clears throat> and if any man hear my words and believe not... I judge him not. And you're starting to think, is there some contradiction here? Jesus just told us he was coming to the world to, to, for all judgment. But here he's saying, if a man hears my words, he doesn't believe it, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That's his mission. He came to save the world. He didn't really come to judge it at that time. And so he's not going to judge them if they don't believe his words. Next verse. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The very words that Jesus spoke while he was here for a very short period of time. It's those words that will judge everyone who rejects him. In Romans chapter 12, 19, you don't need to turn there. There's a verse there that says, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. That's part of God's judgment. And, it, and, and Paul is writing to us and says, don't avenge yourselves. <laughs> all that judgment, all that vengeance belongs to God. He said, you've got to give place to God for him to do what he's going to do. So don't go avenging yourselves. But fascinating, I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. On this same thought of vengeance and wrath and that God owns those things. Deuteronomy 32, two verses, 34, 35. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures? What is it that he sealed up and stored among his treasures? The next verse says, to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. That's fascinating that God is saying all the things of vengeance, recompense, wrath, all that that will be poured out, God has laid up in store and he sealed it in a place he calls his treasures. That's fascinating. You know, there is nothing 
that I could ever conjure up where I might have wrath or vengeance, I want to pour out someone, that I would ever say that's a treasure. But God says it is for him. Because he is a righteous judge. There will come a day, someday, when all those things that he has sealed up, he's stored away, he's written in the books, there'll come a day when the books are opened, and there's another book called the Book of Life. And you want to make sure that your name is written in the Book of Life, because when the books are opened, that God's been writing down all that stuff he's been pouring up and sealing and storing away in his treasure place, there'll come a day when he's going to open that, He's going to pour out vengeance and wrath and judgment. But God is so righteous that he could call that a treasure. Turn to John chapter 3. This is where we're going to close. Excuse me. John chapter 3, now we're all very familiar with John 3.16, but let's put it in its context. John 3.14, let's begin there. In this little passage, we're going to read 14 down to 21, where Jesus is speaking, and he's going to tell us something about his motive for coming into this world to save people. He's going to talk about the vehicle that God used to accomplish the salvation of people. He's going to talk about the promises that he has made. So let's read this. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He starts to talk about the promise here. And then in verse 16, he really elaborates on the promise. Repeating similar thoughts as 15, but elaborated. He says, for God so loved. That's what motivated God. The love of God was his motivation to send Jesus bodily into this little blip of history to save people because he loved them. I'm so glad that love is here with the all. For God so loved, that was his motive, the world, meaning the people in the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that's the vehicle, that's the means of how his love came into this world to provide salvation. And the promise that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the promise, that's the promise of salvation, that's the promise to those who will inherit the things of the kingdom that they will have because they believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, the promises will have everlasting life because God is life. That's what, he's, that's what he's interested in. Absolutely, an abundant life. But he goes on. He says, for God sent not his son into the world. See, this sounds like a mission statement again. He's explaining, to Jesus is speaking here, and he says, here's part of the mission, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Interesting. 
That wasn't the primary reason to condemn the world when he sent Jesus into this world. But that the world through him might be saved. That's his mission. So you see there, there, there was elements of saving and elements of judgment here. But the primary mission that Jesus had was to save the world, save the people of the world. But he's also the judge. And his word will judge in the last days. Let's go on here. I'll read 17 again. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. Now it's interesting reading some Greek scholars here as they understand the word tenses that are here. He says, meaning he that believeth in the present tense, meaning right now, in your life, while you're alive, he that believes in the present tense is not condemned in the present tense. But that also applies in the second half. But he that believeth not is condemned already in the present tense. <clears throat> that may be a hard thing to grasp just a little bit. What he's saying is those that believe, you're saved. And if you do not believe, if you reject God, you are already, in the present tense, condemned. This is why God can be the righteous judge, because he doesn't even have to. You've already done it if you reject God, if you will not believe, if you turn away from God. Jesus, in his own words, is saying, you're already condemned. The judgment, it's over. As long as you're alive, you have an opportunity to believe. But if you don't, you're already condemned. And God is a righteous judge because he gave us opportunity. 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and that was when Jesus Christ bodily came into the world, he was light and life. And he showed himself, he taught, and he explained, and he went to the cross on purpose for you and I, and he died and he rose again. And all of that was bringing light into the world. And men made a decision. They loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. See, there's the decision point right there. Every man, every woman, every child comes to a point of decision. As the Holy Spirit is calling us to follow him, to believe in what Jesus Christ has done. And we either choose to believe or we choose to ignore it and to not believe. And it always comes down to a choice. And if we choose to ignore and to not believe, we are condemned already because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Now this is so fascinating because the phrase is doeth evil and in verse 21 is the phrase doeth truth. Now I want you to understand this contrast here. Same phrasing, but a contrast. When I say to you, what is the opposite of evil? You would say, 
Good. Right? That's how you and I would just respond with that. The opposite of evil is good. It doesn't say here, those that doeth evil and those that doeth good. Meaning that if you do good, you're going to be saved. If you do evil, you'll be condemned. That's not what it says here. It's very important to understand this. Let's read 20 and 21 again. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Meaning that you do, if you're doing, doing evil, you don't want to get out in the light where everything that you're doing is visible and known. You'd rather be in secret. 21. But he that doeth truth. See, there it doesn't say doeth good. See, we're not saved because we're such do-gooders, right? We don't get saved because we're doing good. We're doing truth. This is so critical. Because truth is part of the Godhead. And when you're doing truth, you're doing what God, what God through Jesus Christ has told us to believe and to understand of what Jesus has done for us. And you follow through with that. And I believe, Lord, that he says you're saved, you have eternal life. And that's doing the truth. And it's not your goodness that did it. It's, it's Jesus that saves you. Because that's why he came into this world. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. <clears throat> oh, that we could be people who every day decide to do the truth. Do the true things. And it's okay if, it, if you get humbled by doing something stupid and it gets embarrassing and all those kinds of things that might happen. <sighs> Lord, help me. And you got to go seek forgiveness. You may have to fix some relationships and all that. That's all part of life. But it, it's living in the truth and being willing to be completely out in the open. Jesus Christ came into the world to save you and I. But the reality is, he's also the judge. And the last day will come. And he is righteous in what he does to finish this world. Let's go to prayer. Holy God, our Father, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, we come to you, Father. We somewhat understand you, but we trust you, Father, and we know that you have promised us eternal life, and that things of this world are very temporary. We thank you for that, that you have something much greater planned. Oh, Father, we thank you. For your word today, we just pray that the word will sink down deep into the hearts and to the minds. And as we go through life, we'll remember the, that what you have told us, because it's by your words that we will be judged. Help us to understand your words. Oh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each one that is here. Father, we pray for, for the, the prayer requests that have been made, for those that are dealing with difficulties and, and health issues for those that are particularly in war-torn areas and, and disaster zones. And Father, there's so much around us. Help us to know how we can serve others and live out your kingdom while we're yet in this life. 
Oh, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a song.